Welcome to the LMTP Low Man on the Totem Pole podcast. We are your tough love work friends talking you through your workplace woes and spurring you on to your own personal career highlights reel. I'm your co-host, corporate trainer that's currently under the influence of bingeable summer streaming television, Katie McDonald. And here's your host, coaching and development consultant, author of Low Man on the Totem Pole, Stop Begging for a Promotion, Start Selling Your Genius, and VIP, very influential person who's currently under the influence of day drinking, Heather MacArthur. <laughs> Heather MacArthur! <laughs> Welcome. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe I'm also under the influence of day drinking. I don't know. I'm pretty jazzed. <laughs> Welcome to season two, Heather. Right? That's nice. That's why I had, I had to have a day drink to celebrate to kick this off. Oh, see, that's what we should have been doing all along. I like that. <laughs> <laughs> some uh, samosas, some Prosecco. Let's just, let's just yeah. do it. So fun fact, I was uh, looking up some of our old files due to the technical difficulties we were having before recording and noticed that it has been exactly one year since we recorded our first episode. Uh, I really do want to like jump into a rendition of Reunited and it feels so good, but (laughs) considering that... uh... I I don't I lip sync happy birthday. I won't do that to you or the audience. <laughs> I was going to go straight into Shania Twain's You're Still the One. Looks like we made oh, it. <laughs> I like it. I like it. <laughs> oh, Shania. <laughs> <laughs> well, welcome to season two. So excited to be on this adventure with you still together. <laughs> oh, Shania. It does sound like a good curse word. Oh, Shania. Oh, Shania. Let's just use that. I, That's okay. Oh, I like Shania. it. Shania. <laughs> Welcome to the show. So uh, we're going to walk listeners through strategies, attitude changes, and actions that put you in the driver's seat of your own career advancement, and most importantly, helping you understand what a successful, meaningful career looks like for you. So today, our topic du jour that we're going to kick off season two with is influence, if you didn't catch the drift from our opening. (laughs) Um, But this is actually an extremely common topic now that I come across in my workshops and my coaching and people don't always ask for it outright like oh do you can we talk about influence usually it's it's called out as influence without authority which I think is kind of just a sign of people need to recognize there's no such thing as really like authority getting you what you want it can help you and I'll talk a little bit about that but influence is something completely different and 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 we'll 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 jump into that. I'm excited about the topic of influence because not having that level of connection with what the word means in the workplace, I've just been hearing it all over the place in terms of social media and what it means to be an influencer and kind of how we can uh, possibly take that idea of influencing with our own actions and our own decisions and choices into the working sphere. So I'm excited to plumb all kinds of depths uh, about influence with you today. This is awesome. Actually, that kind of leads me into my first question that sets the stage for what we'll be doing today. Uh, What does it mean when we're talking about influence in the workplace? Especially, uh, I want to dig into that that concept that you just brought up, uh, influence without authority. What does that look like? And how can we how can we capitalize on our influence in a positive way. Yeah, so I, there's two things that I call out when I'm talking about influence. And, and one is there's a difference between 
being influential and being manipulative. You know, a lot of, you know, I, rarely have I seen someone say, oh, you're so manipulative. And the other person, oh, thank you. Jeez, uh, <laughs> you flatter me. But this idea of like, oh, you're influential. And like, to your point, even in the social media thing, to be an influencer, um, you know, they don't say like, oh, you're a manipulator. I want to put my brand. Uh, please, you know, post my t-shirt on your website. Um, <laughs> But um, the way that I define it is manipulation is changing or withholding facts to get what you want regardless of the impact on the other person. So rarely do I see people be manipulative because they're mean-spirited. They're just, it's actually a kind of a desperate way to get things done. It's this idea that I, I can't really even think about other people. I've just got to get what I want. And then influences packaging information so that it is digestible to the audience you're talking to hmm. and has some level of inspiration for them to want to take action towards what you're doing. They're making informed decisions. It's not like you're withholding information. It's just you're packaging it in a way that connects with them authentically and inspires them somehow to commit. And that's the other part of it is when I'm de- defining influence the way that you know you've influenced is that you've driven people to what I call the holy grail, which is full commitment. There's kind of a scale I go off of where there's certain things that we can use to get people to this level of commitment. And, you know, the, the way I define commitment is you see someone putting creative and discretionary effort towards whatever it is you're trying to do, which oddly, as much as we say we want that, because it's great, there's a lot of energy, they're helping us do what we want to do, but they're also going to put their mark on it. So it can't just, this is where collaboration will come in, and it won't just be your thing. So sometimes we ask for that level of commitment, and then we get it, and we're kind of like, no, 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 I just want you to do it my way. Um, (laughs) And so we don't realize we're actually trying to influence people to not support us. Uh, And what we're actually asking for is what I call kind of the third cousin once removed from commitment, which is compliance. Mm. that's when people say like, oh, I want authority. I'm like, well, you don't actually want to influence people. You want people to be compliant. There's, you know, on one hand, you might get them to do something, but it's just like, you know, it's like me in the speed limit. I'm only going to do it because I'm afraid of getting a ticket. And the minute I think I'm not going to get a ticket, I'm, I, I'm not putting efforts towards making sure that there's a safe, you know, driving speed everywhere. I'm trying to get as fast as I can to whatever. And this is, if you're a cop and you're listening, don't look for me. But, <laughs> um, <laughs> um but uh, but compliance is helpful. I always say that it can it can help kind of generate people to go to commitment. And the way I say it is like you have to use compliance because people are assuming whatever you ask what you're asking them to do is going to be a waste of their time, is going to be unpleasant in some way, boring. And so I'm always like, if you're going to throw people into the pool, just make sure there's a pool party once they get there. And so you can use it to your advantage. They have really low expectations. And if you actually make it either help them with a problem they didn't realize or it's really enjoyable or it's simple or it's useful, then um, they're very quickly going to go to um, the commitment level. So I don't mind compliance, but if you're using that as a long-haul strategy, you're going to burn people out. You're not really – It's you're having to do more work pulling them along with you and tracking them and making sure that they're doing what you want them to do. You feel like you have more control, but you're really only getting a small percentage of energy from other people. The, 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 the two that come with this is I'd say the second cousins to commitment is, one, agreement, which mm. most of us in our ego really, really like. So <laughs> if I'm in agreement with you, 
it's like, I'm in agreement that no one should go hungry, but I'm not doing anything about it other than feeding myself. But I agree. And if you go off and you feed the homeless or the hungry, I'm going to be like, I'm happy for you. Good luck with that. But I'm not putting any energy towards it, but our egos love it. So you go in a meeting and people say, oh, this is a great idea. And you take that as commitment because it feels good. Mm. And then you get upset because they didn't do anything after that meeting. Well, they didn't ever committed to anything. They just agreed with you. And that's our ego gets caught up in it. And what you should actually hope for is the opposite, disagreement. So instead of getting so excited that someone agrees with you, looking at what's the disagreement, voiced disagreement, is actually there's energy going towards something. It's just not completely aligned with what you're doing. But the energy is already there. They're speaking up about it. They're upset about something. They disagree about something. And if you invite that in, then what you do is you get someone who's got a lot of energy and you figure out where can we align so that that energy is, is productive between the two of us. That is a much level, you already got someone who's committed. You're just trying to align that level of commitment. That is actually your best option other than commitment. Because like I said, they're already there. Compliance, agreement, that's, you've got to, you can use them. Like if you have someone who agrees with you, you can use them to maybe sponsor things or whatever, maybe give them low risk things to take on. But they're not committed. There's not really energy going. The dangerous thing is is if you don't invite in the disagreement, if you don't embrace it, people who feel like they're not going to be heard, then they move to sabotage, which is on the very opposite end of commitment, Mm. is that they're committed against you, not even your idea. They're committed against you because you didn't want to listen to them. And so I always say, if you find someone who you go like, oh, they're throwing me under the bus and they're trying to sabotage my work efforts or whatever, like just treat it as discovered disagreement and invite it in, even if they're doing some, you know, some, some difficult things for you. I just kind of go, okay, clearly they disagree. And for whatever reason, I didn't make it see, feel safe enough for them to speak up or they didn't feel safe enough to speak up. But I want to get them to, to open disagreement because that's going to be the faster that we can solve things. So I have a question on the other side of the agreement spectrum. We're talking about agreement, disagreement, and how disagreement actually gives you more insight into where somebody is. The energy is coming from the right place, and you can actually start to move that conversation forward because it is a conversation and not just a head nodding. Mm Mm-hmm. Great. You do that. On the other side, I'd love to talk about when you find yourself feeling like you are influencing a against an idea that you think is disastrous, but in all honesty, from the other person's point of view is going to look like sabotage, right? Haven't we all been sitting in a room where uh, somebody has presented an idea that they are so sure is going to work? This is going to work. This is It's going to work this way. This is the way I've dreamed it up. There's no room for error. There's no room for anybody else's opinion. And it's getting rolled out, right? You try to voice concerns. You say the, what about this? What about that? Uh, that's shot down. The, the, uh, the thing is moving forward, right? And now we're all in, everybody that... Uh, it was quote unquote pitched to in the room essentially was just told these are your marching orders. And now this is what we're doing. At that point, is there any room to be an influencer for a different idea? What is my level of influence in being asked to be compliant with a a project or an objective that I have zero buy-in in and nobody is interested in our level of buy-in? Uh, this is a great one. Um, I, one, understand that influence is not a, um, you know, a one-time cashier exchange. It's usually mm-hmm. like a, 
it's it's how are you leveraging circumstances and timing to work in the favor of the work you and everybody else involved. So let's say I've got someone who, look, I work with clients all the time. At the end of the day, they're going to do what they want to do. I don't, I, I can only recommend. Um, so my first thought is, is have I built a relationship with them that they feel safe hearing my recommendations? Mm-hmm. Because that's something I had to learn the hard way when I was younger in my career. I kind of went, as long as I've got the smart answer, they should have to listen to me. And um, what I realized is all I was doing you know, I, I, I might've been condescending. I might've whatever. And I'm like, I'm not making them feel, I haven't earned the right to ask them to listen to me. And so even if I'm right about those answers at the end of the day, if I'm not in charge, that's because somehow they've got more tie into the money and time being invested. They're carrying more of that responsibility than I am. So I need to earn the right for them to listen to me. And having the right answer is not earning the right, having the, the relationship and the trust is earning the right. And so one, do I, did I establish that in any way? And sometimes you can establish that within five minutes. Um, a lot of that is just taking the time to listen to them. And how did I package my recommendation versus you're wrong and here's what you should be doing type of thing. Cause you know, I know the right answer. So do, do I have that relationship? Have I built that with them? Second, what, you know, did I package and share with them? Here's what you get by going in that direction. Here's what you're losing. Here's what my recommendation is. What are your thoughts? And if they're like, nope, we're going in direction A, then I sit back and I'm like, you know, you got to be realistic about what job line you chose to be in. If you're sitting there in the emergency room and someone's going to die and there's an ethical thing on the table, then, you know, that might be your situation where it's no longer influence and you're going to fight for compliance somewhere uh, or maybe a legal situation where there's, you know, law infractions and there's ethical dilemmas. But when it's just a simple matter of I think this will cost more money or this, like at the end of the day, the client gets to make the shot. So what I do in those situations when they've made that call, I've, I've, cl- I've shared with them why I think that might be not the right direction to go, then I sit back and I go, okay, they may just need to go down this path. And Hmm. instead of being a jerk about it, I'm going to try to prepare and go, if I really think what's going to happen is going to happen, that let me prepare and not be ready to strike and take advantage of the fact they went down the wrong path and now they got to turn around. Instead, when they, they take the wrong turn and I'm like, crap, now we need to turn around. I don't gloat because remember, I'm looking for commitment. And sometimes they're not going to get to a level of commitment if they don't get to make some of it their own. And some of that is by them putting their own ideas on it. And some of that is them getting to make some mistakes around it. And I have to really look at what's the risk of they make a few mistakes around it or they learn some lessons, but now they're really committed to my way of doing things because I wasn't a jerk about it. And now we're off to the races. And so most of the work that we do, it's not our work. We're asking the company to invest in it. We're asking the leader. So I'll hear people say like, well, that's my project. I'm like, it ain't your project unless you sit up shop outside and you're paying the rent for the building and you're paying Hmm. for everything else and you did all the risk and investment. If not, (laughs) you're working for another company. It's not your project. It's what your, the project you happen to be working on for the company. And you need to kind of ego check yourself of you're doing this on the behalf of other people. And if they want to take a risk in a different direction, your job is to set them up to make an informed decision about that. But at the end of the day, you don't get to call the shot and you don't get to have an ego trip about it either. Right. Depending on what side of that equation you find yourself on, this is something I have ended up using personally and professionally in a couple of different venues. You have to, you alluded to it earlier in uh, talking about if you're in an ER situation uh, and a life is at stake, you got to be 100% invested in the outcome. 
and fight whoever you need to fight to make sure that the right thing happens, right? We're kind of lucky that in our specific roles, uh, nobody is looking to us to save their lives. I'm <laughs> very fortunate. That, that's that not is... <laughs> that's not luck. That was intentional. I know what I'm capable of, what I'm not. <laughs> yeah, for me too. <laughs> yeah, let's, the warehouse let's, is on fire. It needs to be trained away. Um, yeah. So, so that said, every opportunity, the the influence, compliance, uh, dis a disagreement or agreement that all kind of exists on a spectrum of investment, right? Depending yes. on whether you yes. are being pitched to or you are doing the pitching. Somewhere in the back of your mind, you may not even be conscious of it, but you have a level of investment in this project, whether you are the one laying it out for people, the one that the, the person that has actually done the planning and uh, has, you know, put the PowerPoint deck together and is giving it, uh, giving it your all to get everybody on board, get that agreement or that disagreement. You are blank percent invested in the outcome. Not in the way you're doing it, in this specific method of delivery, but in the outcome. Everybody else in that room has most likely a lower level of investment than you because you've already been thinking about it. So when you get somebody that passionately pushes back uh, and, you know, has a disagreement about implementation, about the amount of money and where that, you know, the, this amount of money should be going here instead of there as you have it allocated, that's investment. So looking for people that have a similar level of investment uh, to you are going to be able to, that's going to help focus you on, on getting to answers that's going to be agreeable because everybody is aligned in that same outcome, whether or not they agree on the details. Yeah. And I don't think you need the same level of investment. I'm very big on, um, you know, anytime I go in to try to influence, I've got a vision for what it should be and what the ideal scenario is. Uh, but I always walk in with what I call the the five options. Hmm. And I always pitch um, the way I break it. First of all, I'm a car enthusiast. So my examples are car related. Uh, but I always <laughs> say, I pitch the Ferrari. Like I want them to understand this is the Ferrari. And it's not a it's not a um, like a Ferrari in the sense of I'm pitching things that we don't really need. Mm -hmm. I'm pitching in an ideal world if we didn't worry about funding or anything like that and the roadblocks that might get in the way, this is what we should be doing and this is what it could look like because I want their imagination to start to be able to see what I see. And to your point, if I've been thinking about this, they don't see it yet. So I'm sharing my vision and I don't, I don't shortcut that vision because I think like, well, they'll never say yes to this. So I don't want to look crazy. No, I, I I'll share like, this would be the ideal. And here's the impact that could make. And usually they're like, we don't have the funding for that. I'm like, that's okay. Another version would be, and then I pitch a Mercedes kind of version. Like mm -hmm. here we lose a little bit of this, but if we still have some bells and whistles, there's still some luxury to it. There's still kind of a, you know, cutting edge or a level of change. There's high, all these, like the risk starts to slow, to, like go lower and the amount of investment starts to go lower. If they push back on that, I've got a Toyota. Like this is a nice, reliable, still very clean car. We can get where we want to go. And later on, if we want some bells and whistles, but this is a solid way to look at this. And if they still push back, then I'm like, now there's a bicycle. Like it might even be, <laughs> the bicycle is literally like, can we just, agree to meet on this again as time goes by or for me to do some research and come back to you um, or for me to get this one little item. And then my ideal is option five, which is I call option Z, and that is a spaceship, meaning 
I walked in and I was thinking cars. They walked in, wasn't even thinking about it. We walk out together with our ideas combined and we've got a spaceship that it just came into some, it, it grew into something completely different because both of our brains got brought to it. But some of this is a long range game where I see some people go in and they pitch their idea and it's a no, they pitch their Ferrari or their Mercedes and it's a no. And they go, this company will never change. And I'm like, you don't have a long range game. I plant the seed and then I tend to those seeds and then I keep trying to like a little bit more, a little bit more, but I also get whatever little they give me, I need to show a return on investment and get them hooked so that I can ask for more of an investment and earn the right to ask for that. But I, you know, like I said, when it comes down to that influence, people don't get, it's a overtime relationship and you know, and a little bit, I, once again, I think I've referenced this in another podcast. It's like the drug dealer's model is like, I'm getting you hooked on my <laughs> services so that you want to buy more product for me. But like, if I just go in and like, hey, you know, this is really horrible uh, analogies, but I'm going to go ahead and go with it. <laughs> like, hey, <laughs> buy a truckload of, you know, cocaine for me. And you're like, I've never done drugs in my life. I'm like, well, come on, you're going to love it. A whole truckload. Like, no, that's not how it works. <laughs> You start with the little baggie. I've watched way too much. Uh, um, one, I just grew up in Barstow. And I'm just blaming that on my upbringing. But, and two, I've watched way too much like 80s uh, uh, drug war movies. But um, I know. I'm wondering if we should just uh, watch the entire uh, series of The Wire as yeah. a, a primer for the next. <laughs> or Breaking Bad. For the season like two. Breaking season Bad two is, is going to be very gritty. Breaking Bad uh, was like a great entrepreneurial <laughs> Anyways, I digress. But that's that's the thing is like as you know, I, I, people don't when it comes to influence, the people that I hear really struggle and get frustrated with it and they go, well, I don't have any authority. Like you don't want to influence. You just want people out of your way. It, you know, this whole like you're invested in the product or the service or whatever. I'm like, that's probably your biggest mistake. You should be further invested in the product or the service is just your way of you helping these other people. If you were really committed to the people you'd be in it to win it for with them the long haul because what you want to do is is help them even after you're gone versus all I care about is this product that I made and that's your ego because if you made a product just for yourself you don't need anybody else to say yes to it then have it in your garage look at it when you want to and stop complaining about other people not wanting to do it with you well that speaks a little bit more even to the differentiation that you made at the beginning of the episode about influence versus manipulation as well. If you are trying to move uh chess pieces around on a board because I want X done, that could be about the product that's going to win you, you know, notoriety or it could be this is what's going to get me the promotion and it's still about you it's not about the shared vision it's not about what you're trying to uh to create for the betterment of your you know your coworkers or your clients or the company uh that you're partnering with influence seems to be more holistically about sharing a vision and working towards a shared goal whereas these other two things are more about how can I get somebody to do what I want whether it's give me the authority or just move around in the ways that I want them to move around 90% of the time when I'm teaching a class and they they sign up for an influence class they're not really thinking about influence they're thinking about how do I get my way with as minimal rejection as possible Versus influence, you, you've got to really be committed to want to change the way people think, not just because you want them to think your way would make your life easier, but because you really believe it's going to help them and you're doing it in service for them. If not, 
you're a little bit like you're thinking, I hate, maybe this is really harsh, but you're thinking like a dictator a little bit. Like that's where that manipulation comes into of like, well, how do I just say what I need to say so that they do what they do and I have minimal drama dealing with it. It's like you almost have to, if you really want to be a strong influencer, you have to kind of love the process and the journey of helping someone think through and figure out what they feel and think about that topic. And you're almost there as a guide. And, you know, you should be there as a guide because there's some level of passion or talent or insight you have on that particular topic or product and that you know you have a vision that if they would, you know, just be able to get to this place with you, their lives would be better, their business would be more successful. And if you're not doing it on behalf of others, then you're going to have a harder time influencing people. Compliance, sure, you can have a big title in the company and scare people and they'll do stuff, but you're not an influencer. You didn't inspire anybody to commit to something. You just scared the crap out of them about losing their job. (laughs) And as soon as the next product rolls off the line, they will go to that, whether it's a new job or another way that they've found within the company to not do the thing they don't want to do. Yeah, not only that, even if they just, you know, sit there and obey you, you're not inviting their creative energy. Because when people are scared, their creativity goes into how to keep my pl- myself safe, not how to come up with new ideas mm-hmm. that no one thought of before. Yeah, that's a thing. That's uh, that's definitely a thing that happens over and over where people are like, the, the morale is so low. We should probably just threaten to fire more people. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Let's do a reorg. Shake things up. Yes. Good times. Um, I love this. I really am. I I mean, not just talk. I'm thinking about influence in a totally different way than the way we started this conversation. I really thought Mm. we were going to go into conceptions of how to actually start a conversation that gets people on your side and like little, you know, tips and tricks. This is just a, a total revamping of the way you approach major thought systems and opportunities to uh, to connect with others that you're partnering with to leverage their energy with yours. I I feel inspired for your influence. Ooh, I like this. <laughs> I you know, I don't want to I, I don't because there is a certain level of is, you know, can I put some methodology to things to really because I go back to influences about packaging. Um, so that they can really digest the information. So I think first, and I love um, his work. There's a lot of videos from him, Simon Sinek, S-I-M-O-N-S-I, and his last name, S-I-N-E-K. But one of his first books was Start With The Why. And he's got some great videos around it. For some Mm -hmm. reason, you know, you you haven't heard of him before, just Google him and you'll see some of the YouTube videos on it. And um, that's really the biggest part of it is how do you have things resonate with people and inspire them? Because you can point out to me that this makes rational sense. It's kind of like talking to me and going like, I've got a friend who runs marathons and whatnot. And she's always like, well, it'd be good for your health if you went and ran with me and this, this, and this. And I'm like, yeah, nothing, you're all, you're right. Nothing about your statistics are wrong, but I'm not inspired. Like you're not connecting, like your why, her (laughs) why doesn't match my why. Like her why is like, well, I want to see the world. And I just, I love the adventure of it. I'm like, that's not my why. Eventually, like when I I finally was talking to somebody else and their why was like, well, I just don't want to be like, you know, somebody who's got, someone's got a spoon feed when they're 60. And I'm like, see now that why I can get on board with that one. And it's, it's possibly <laughs> fear driven, but I'm like, yeah, like that makes me want to get off the couch. But the whole like, you know, I just feel good when I'm right. Like none of that really t- tackled me. So it's, you know, his whole premise is like people don't 
buy into what you do. They buy into why you do it. And so how do you find a why that gets people inspired and committed to what you're up to? And then you can hash out the details in between. So when you're trying to influence people, you're, the whole reason you've got to influence them is you've got to change the way they think because they think differently than you. They value different things than you do. And my big thing is, is if you want to influence people, you actually have to love and respect them and want to understand their language, even if it's not your own language. And so the same thing has to go with you wanting to, to, to do, you know, make whatever influence. Stop judging them for thinking differently than you and start paying attention to how do they think? What do they care about? How do you connect with what you care about in their language so that it matters to them, even if you prefer that the reason they're doing it is because the same reasons you do it. The end of the day, how do you get them to buy into it? That That makes so much sense because that's the difference between, yeah, going along towards a, uh, a common goal and getting people to understand your, your goal and match your energy or just bring their own level of energy and investment or getting everybody in lockstep through, you know, whatever the, uh, whatever the compliance version of that is. I love it. Yay. A little day drinking goes a long way. <laughs> if this is day drinking, Heather, imagine. Grey Goose. Grey Goose has completely, there's a product <laughs> plug. Grey Goose has completely influenced me for the better. Well, if you have any recommendations, any uh, influence that you would like to uh, to exert or introduce over things that we talk about on this podcast, uh, or if you just want to tell us what you think about what we're doing heading into season two, you have any new ideas for us, tweet us at LMTP Consulting. Message us on Instagram, low man on the totem pole, all one word, or email us, lmtppodcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for joining us. We're looking forward to a, uh, a fun and sunny season two. Heather, thank you so much. I feel uh, inspired from your influence. And thank you, Katie, for being so committed to this podcast. <laughs> I love you. Right back at you. <laughs> if I had the rights, I would edit some Shania Twain into the end here, but you're just going to hear our regular old outro. <laughs> I feel like a woman. 